0: Okay, Uh, thanks everyone for coming promptly back, and nice to see that um, some of you brought tea and and biscuits in. I've got my biscuit here. My mission, um, by 12.45, finish promptly and then have the biscuit. That's what I'm trying to do. Open source biscuit. (laughs) Welcome everyone, my name is John Kingsbury, I'm Program Director for the Digital R&D Fund. Um, and uh, very pleased to be a facilitator for the rest of the se- for some of the rest of the sessions today. Um, we've we've broken out into this room. I'm uh, desperately hoping that it's warmer in here than it is in the Great Hall. I'm not so sure, but let's hope. Um, at least it's a smaller space, so our combined talking body heat animation will hopefully warm up the the, the space. Um, Today's, uh, this this session is about distributing content, uh, looking at the kind of distribution of artistic content and how organizations are using new forms of digital distribution to engage new audiences. Um, Already today in the main hall, there's been a a, a lot of conversation around um, broadcasting of arts content. And uh, I was looking at the tweets earlier uh, from talk, people talking about that conversation. And I, th- and I think there are sort of paradoxical um, schools of, of, of thought on this. On the one hand, lots of people are asking the question, well, is it just about the broadcasting and distribution of traditional media? And you know, can we get beyond talking about that and thinking about digital art forms that actually suit the, the media that, that digital provides internet and online and mobile, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And others, of course, uh, are taking the opposite approach in their tweets, which is, well, yes, but this is a fantastic new opportunity to take our performance, our art, um, our activity, our objects, our artefacts out <coughs> to new audiences who wouldn't otherwise kind of visit the venues that we occupy. And so, this this question about distribution. Uh, digital distribution of, of culture and art, I think, is a sort of is a is a subject that often kind of throws throws up some differing views. So hopefully today we'll get some of that. I'm I've got two speakers um, today, really um, to do nothing more than prompt the discussion from the wider room. I'm very aware that lots of you in the in the room have insights and experiences. Uh, in, in and around this subject area. So what I'm not going to do is offer Stephen and, and, and Mike as experts. I'm really just, I've really just asked them to talk about their experiences as a way of prompting a wider conversation. So um, the first sort of 10 or 15 minutes of this session is going to be you listening to Stephen and, and Mike, but then hopefully we'll have a bit of interactivity, and then certainly I want there to be a, a more interactive um, uh, discussion in the room. I'm a bit aware that the format we've put you in rows, can you see me at the back? Probably not, I'll stand up. Hello, hi there. Um, don't, don't let the sort of regular format of, of today put you off sort of making yourself known and being active, and perhaps we'll find a mechanism for doing that, standing up or walking around or something a bit later on. But um, just to sort of get us started, I'd like to introduce our two speakers. The, the first is Stephen Green, who's one of the founders of Dystrophy. Um and, and Stephen, I'll let you talk about Distrify and what you do and the projects that you, you're working on. But Distrify, uh, just to say, is, is one of the uh, technology partners working in the R&D projects that we have running up in Scotland, so hopefully there'll be some insights and experiences from... From working on that project that you can share, and then Professor Mike Wilson, who's the Dean of Research and the Graduate School at the at the newly named Falmouth University, and perhaps you can also give share some of your insights, especially around the, the work that you've been doing with BT. Mm. So I'm going to give. Um, I've got a big there you are, I've got a big <laughs> clock to keep us all on time clock. and keep me uh, thinking about my biscuit and. Um, I think, Stephen, I'd like to ask you first to kick off and give me five minutes on what your company does and some of the insights and experiences that you can share with the room.
1: Okay, thanks, John. Um, It's never good to start a discussion with an apology, but uh, for those who are hoping to meet Andy Andy Green, our COO, who's described in the programme he was unable to make it due to some um, young, vomiting children, so I convey his apologies. But I am Andy's twin brother, so I can assure you I'm in adequate standing. Now, um, Dystrophy came about because Andy and Peter Gerard and myself, the co-founders, who are filmmakers, perceived a real problem in getting our films distributed and seen by the people we wanted to see them. So we took action and created Distrify. The key driving principle behind <coughs> Distrify behind is to make films as accessible as possible, as widely as possible to as many people as possible. So we are global and we have very few restrictions on what kind of content we distribute and how we distribute it. Essentially, we're a technology company. The key innovation for us is to give film lovers the chance to buy and watch the film the moment they discover it, to avoid any kind of drop off from having to look around where else you might find it or people being tempted perhaps to seek out an illegal copy. So what we've done is we've built. payment gateway system into a shareable video player, so that everywhere a film trailer is shared, the payment mechanism and the opportunity to pay for the film and watch it go with the trailer wherever it's shared. So essentially, we're not like a traditional platform and we're not like a traditional distributor. What we do is we turn the whole internet into a platform. So anywhere You can share or embed a video player. You create a store on that page. It works through Facebook or um, you can tweet a link. Essentially, it's designed to work through social media and to harness the capabilities that it has to reach out and speak to the audiences that you're looking for. So, um, who do we work with? Well, the nature of the business means we work with partners. It could be at a microscopic level, down to individual users who find a the film, they like it, they want to share it. And it can be larger partners, for example, we're engaged in a very interesting project with The Guardian online. We've created The Guardian Screening Room, with a number of fascinating films there you can go and have a look after we've had this, uh, this discussion, or even during it. Um, Uh, a particularly interesting project, which we've had recently though, is working with the GFT, Glasgow Film Theatre, and Edinburgh Filmhouse. And that's been facilitated by NESTA, and that was a project that John alluded to in his, uh, <coughs> in his introduction. So we've teamed up with the GFT and Filmhouse, a very interesting project. What we're doing is helping them make their films online. Uh, available online so that they can expand their audience, so they can seek out uh, new audiences, essentially diversify their audience, expand it. Because very idiosyncratic cinemas don't always have the possibility to attract an audience from, from more remote areas. But these are interesting films which are often not available more widely. So we've teamed up um, with the cinemas to offer this. But the key innovation really is down to the business model, and that's something John asked me to talk about. What we are doing is, and this goes right across the board for everything Distrify does, is we incentivise the sharing and the platformisation, if you, if you will, of the internet by delivering a small transactional share of each purchase to the person who shares so with the GFT and the film house, what we do is we are integrating those cinemas into the revenue chain. It's the first time that cinemas have been able to make money by showing a film v- uh, through video on demand and also sharing the revenue at the same time. I think perhaps I'm just about running out of time, so I'll hand over to him.
0: You've, if you want another 30 seconds, I suppose I have a very quick question, Stephen, which is you, you work with, um, film content. I suppose that business model of both sharing and exploring new revenue streams, whether you think that is applicable to other um, types of content that arts or cultural organisations may have. So whether if if Tim Plimming's doing this sort of film content around um, Pompeii, whether, whether that is sort of extendable to other art forms. And, and maybe just another question, which is
1: what what are you kind of learning through that business model, or is it too early to tell? I'll take the uh, second question <laughs> first. And um, what are we learning? We are learning that some of our early assumptions need to be updated. Um, what when the, I think the key thing we can say is that I can tell you what Dystrophy is not. That's not a solution to getting your film selling well. <laughs> it sounds rather uh, counterproductive of me to say that, but the truth is, no matter how you're trying to sell your film, somebody needs to market it, somebody needs to push it, somebody needs to make people know that it's out there and that it's worth watching. And we don't do that. We provide the technology that allows you to connect with your audience. You have to know who your audience is, and you have to market the film to them yourself. And that's why working with partners like the Glasgow Film House, uh, the the GFT and the Film House and The Guardian have been valuable to us because they have marketing departments and they push the films.
0: And, um, and your personal sort of thoughts about non traditional film content?
1: That, that's an interesting one. Our thoughts on that are fairly embryonic at the moment. Um, it did strike me recently, and I noticed that the panel and the opportunity panel picked up on that. And that is the possibility. Mm-hmm to use technology for uh, crowdfunding. I thought that was very interesting. Um, And I think that there are certainly opportunities to use a technology which can take payments and be shared in 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 an an interesting way. Um, Ultimately, everything can be represented in film. Um, The film trailer is a key advertisement for the film, and a short clip. Is a advertisement for anything. And that's how things are sold, sure. largely on um, the television and cinemas, is with a, a, a video clip. Yeah, yes. So I think that um, a video clip advertising something that's uh, a work of art, which is not digital, is, um, strikes me as full of opportunities.
0: Okay. Thanks very much. Well, we might pick up on some of those, um, some of your comments and insights after that. Mike, mm. your. Your five minutes, right?
2: please. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very, very glad, John, that you started off by um, saying you weren't looking for an expert opinion, um, because that's certainly not what I, I, I come to um, today as, um, <clears throat> in the sense that I, I'm not a, a technologist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, um, my own background is in theatre um, and, and a very analogue bit of theatre. Um, but I have, and and particularly interest around storytelling, but I have over recent years become interested in how digital technology and particularly web-based technologies are altering the way that we are able to um, share and comment um, on our our own big narratives amongst much wider audiences. Um, But to give you a bit of context, I mean, John particularly mentioned um, some of the work we've been doing with, with BT um, and although I've got, f- I could talk for a long time given five minutes I wanted to give a bit of context to that and perhaps just mention um, one or two of those projects that we have been working on down at Falmouth If you find a digital solution to the common cold that Sorry, would be great as water. well <laughs> um, um, Falmouth is a specialist arts university um, that has that's come about through the merger of two institutions, the old Falmouth Art School originally, which some may know has emerged from the 19th century and later the modernist um, artist colonies down in West Cornwall, um, and also Dartington College of Arts, which is based in South Devon, and has, over the last few years, relocated its campus down to Falmouth. Um, and th- that's important in itself, because Cornwall um, has a very large... Um, proportion per capita proportion of its population engaged in creative activity or the creative industries in one way or another often as sole traders or mi- micro businesses um, but it 's got a, um, a high concentration of its population are engaged in creative activity of one sort or another um, it 's also a very rural um, area um, um, as a county um, it 's long and thin. Um, and mainly made up of, of some small towns and villages. I mean, our, our biggest um, city, our one city, I suppose, is Truro, um, which, I mean, I come, from, I come from Manchester originally, and Truro would not even <laughs> register on the scale of a town in this part of the world. Um, so it, it's a, it is a very rural area, and it's a very low-wage economy as well, and some areas of real um, deprivation. As a result of that, Cornwall is a recipient of convergence funding from, from the EU, um, and one of the projects that has been funded through convergence funding is the rollout of superfast broadband. So there's currently a £135 million pound project to, um, over the next few years, to introduce um, speeds of um, 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 download speeds of up to 100 meg. Um, across the whole of Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly which will reach 80% of premises um, of which 50% of those will have um, fibre to to premises connections so very high speeds. Um, So we're currently one of the best connected bits of the UK which gives us particular um, possibilities, particular opportunities Um, and BT... are are, are responsible for um, sort of laying those cables involved in the infrastructure. So we're partnering up with BT on a number of projects. They're very keen because what they want to look at is what we can do with that extra bandwidth over and above downloading films or whatever more quickly than we're doing at the moment. Um, They want to see what new things we can do and of course because of the, as I say, the creative concentration um, in Cornwall, um, what they're hoping is that there's a lot of people who will do quite disruptive and and cool things with that that bandwidth. Um, So we're involved in a number of projects, I'll I'll just mention a couple of them. Um, One. which I'm particularly proud of, is is an AHRC-connected communities-funded project called the University of the Village, which is um, in partnership not only with BT, but also the Universities of Surrey and Glamorgan in South Wales, where we're looking at how we might use broadband to redefine the traditional relationships that universities have with their rural communities. Um, So we've been looking at how we can use the broadband to live-stream <coughs> um, lectures, seminars, and workshops through into village venues. Um, so, we've been working with a community in St Agnes, which is a little village on the north coast of Cornwall, who wanted to learn how to make a film because they were putting together a village app for tourists, tourists that presented a different kind of image of the village than the Cornish um, Tourist Board were promoting. Um, so, we delivered a filmmaking course um, broadcast from my office down into the upstairs room of one of the local pubs um, in St. Agnes on a Tuesday evening. And they learnt the skills online. We were testing whether the interactions were were, were, worked and got over that kind of clunkiness that you always used to get. Um, And these were two-way interactions. They weren't just the the kind of the old OU model of here's the stuff, download it yourself and and so forth. So it it was playing around with those ideas. As a result of that, um, not only was that successful, they made a great film, but the landlady of the pub thought it was, it was such a great bit of technology. She had not really got used to how she was going to use this before. She's now started a series of wine tasting dinners, um, which involve live links to the vineyard. So We did one with New Zealand last year. Um, we did one with France earlier this week. We're going to do a link to a brewery in California um, next month. Um, where, where you have the, 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 the wine grower in their vineyard introducing the wines that you're drinking o- over dinner. And of course, with New Zealand, it was great because it was in the summer and we met in the evening and it was lovely and light and cool. Nice um, sunset over the sea, sipping our Chardonnay or whatever. And the guy's up there early morning, sits looking over his coffee. and By the time we finished dinner, it was dark in New um, um, in Cornwall and the sun had gone up in New Zealand. We were then drinking coffee because <laughs> and he was laying into his first glass of wine at 9 o'clock in the morning or whatever. So um, so that's one, one project that's had unexpected spin-outs. Um, a colleague of mine, um, um, Phil Stenton, is working on a project <coughs> called VConnect, which is a real-time um, <coughs> a kind of video conferencing platform, but one that gets beyond um, connecting um, people sitting around a table in suits. So, what they are particularly looking at is how you can link up dancers, to groups of dancers in different parts of the world, to rehearse and, um, and devise and compose a piece of choreography, which can then be performed and distributed um, through the, the broadband. Of course, you need really quite good bandwidth to do that, to be able to do that properly, because of the timings and and so forth. As soon as you introduce any any music into it, that's a problem. And finally, we have something called a Disclavio, which is a a network piano. Um, And I think uh, we have one, Goldsmiths have one, but I don't think there are any others in the UK at the moment. Um, So, last week, last Saturday morning, we had Elton John, um, not in Falmouth, Um, he was actually in New York playing, um, but our piano was playing what he was playing. Um, And that was connected to other disc claviers around the world. So it was a global concert um, done on the disc clavier. Um, And I was away at the time. But what interesting things that colleagues said, it wasn't so much the keys going up and down that was interesting. It was the pedals that were the really spooky bit. You know, suddenly you see what Elton John's doing on the... the so, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of possibilities there that we're only just beginning to, be, beginning to explore. But it's really, all they're really about these projects are different forms of, of kind of multi-stream, um, real-time interactions um, which enable us to do other things, things that we weren't able to do quite so easily before. Um, and we're just using that bandwidth in whatever interesting, innovative ways that we had, and that must be my five minutes, John. Well over. Well one, over. Oh, oh over. God, I'm sorry. The,
0: the tales of the wine that tasting was, rubbish was, was almost, almost worth it. Five it, worth it. Okay. No, no, that's good. Let's go. Okay. I mean, I've just got, yeah. before we um, make it more interactive, I've just got two very quick questions for you, you could sort of be right. as brief as possible. First, are you finding that arts and cultural organisations in Cornwall mm. know about and are taking up the opportunity to work okay. with this? Broadband
2: infrastructure. Yes, Yes, they are, and increasingly. And it's very interesting what Victoria was saying earlier because we have (coughs) actually just. Um, th- part of the convergence money has enabled us to, to um, invest in our own research infrastructure, particularly with the a- aim of external engagement with, uh, w- with the local economy, which is largely a creative economy. Uh, and and if, so we've just set up a studio space, oh, not right. dissimilar to the... Yeah. But I actually modelled on the pervasive media um, <laughs> studio and, and, and linking with them, so we've got people Brilliant. coming in on a on regular basis. And if
0: someone in this room thinks... What a fantastic ah. test bed that would mm. be! Can I talk to Mike about how yeah. I might go about having a yeah. conversation about what we could try? Yeah. Are, are you open? Or Absolutely, is yes. Open? Yeah, we're, all, we're always
2: open. Okay. So maybe open to that. I don't yeah. want to come down to <coughs> have an excuse to come down to Cornwall. Um, good. Yeah. And, and and one last question: What what are you learning about the <coughs> about the <coughs> about these new uses? What are we learning about the new uses? Um, We're learning, I suppose, this probably won't come as a surprise, but we're learning, I suppose, that the outcomes are nearly always not the outcomes that you planned or expected. Um, um, And sometimes you've got to, I suppose, just be a bit relaxed about that. Um, And rather than focusing on the thing that you were desperately, desperately trying to achieve, the thing you promised you'd deliver on, Careful, because there could be something really much more interesting that somebody's doing as a result of it out there. So, so I think it's around that that need for flexibility, that need for constantly reimagining and reevaluating what what, what you're doing, because it, it it's this thing is is changing all the time, and people are are innovating all the time, and you you know you've got to keep pace with it, and you know you just got to kind of I suppose surrender to the to, you know, to the flow of that and, and not get too anxious about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Space, space to innovate.
0: Okay, well, thanks, both of you. Um, I, I, rather than ask you guys whether there are any questions for these guys, which I'll do later, I think I'd like you to do a little bit, bit of work, please, which is, can you talk to people next to you or behind you or in front of you for five minutes about what you feel are the biggest opportunities for your organisation for digital distribution. So if you think about digital distribution, what would you perhaps like to be doing in a year's time? You know, where do you think those big opportunities are for your particular organisation? What would you like to be doing? And I'd also like you to think what the biggest challenge is for your organisation, whether it's funding, contacts, capacity to engage in new projects. Um, and I'd just like you to talk to your neighbours and colleagues for the next five minutes, and then I'm going to um, ask Clara to come back after that and get your comments from, uh, from from that chat. Okay, off you go. Very quickly, I've moved up here so people can see me. I've brought my biscuit. So, um, just in case those two felt a bit peckish. Um, so, is anyone brave enough to... Um, answer those two questions from the discussions any takers please feel generous come on what were you talking about <laughs> yes thank you oh, um, yeah,
3: um, oh, thank you currently um is working? yeah, yeah um, currently i'm working with uh, cardiff uh sheffield university to uh, develop a kind of uh, a digital platform for uh, engagement with um, with young people and uh, the the research question, really, is uh, how do we engage their interest in, in university research? You know, and, and that, that, that word interest has always been of interest to me because, I mean, we, we use it a lot. Um, but it's really how you, how you see that initial spark developing, you know, you know in, in, in a kid's mind. And I think really that's the opportunity is to, is to find out really what's going on you know, behind the scenes, really, in these kids and to see what is, is really, you know, engaging their interest and can engage their interest. I guess the challenges, really, are uh, to make sure that um, you're not really leading the agenda, you know, that they are. Mm. Um, it's uh, about the, uh, you know, the erosion, really, of the, um, of the importance, in art, in, you know, of art within the curriculum and uh and overcoming those barriers you know you know there's all sorts of barriers really to uh getting kids out of schools and uh in, in, into uh, higher institutions.
0: I'm sorry, you didn't say your name. Oh yeah, about. my name's Paul Evans. Oh, uh, Paul. I'm a freelance okay, so. artist actually that
3: oh, w- working yeah. with the University of Sheffield. So when
0: you think about the op- op- opportunity to get to kids for your project and the challenges is to understand what motivates them and what they're consuming, does does that mean that the answer to that challenge is more more data, more understanding about the audiences? I, I, have you tried that, but it's not available, or you know what's how how might say the R&D Fund help with that or the Arts Council f- help with that or what do you need or is it user, user-centred testing or...? Yeah, I
3: think, um, well we have a research partner obviously in, in, the, in the university. Um, I, th- I, think, I think it needs to be a question really, you, you, you know, you know from, from our standpoint to the kids really, you know, what, what is it that you find interesting mm. um, in, in, in these in these areas of research? and uh and i think I think the important thing is is to yeah see it as an experiment and uh, see see what emerges from it really
0: thanks and and for the research, do you put any preference over what the kids tell you versus user behavior do you did what's the difference in your preference or Ter- just because quite often when you go out to people and you say, would you use this? And they say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then sometimes they don't. And so that difference about understanding user behaviour versus what people tell you they want, which is a That's different. interesting, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: I, I, I think, again, it's one of those things that, that's ne- that needs that needs testing, really. Yeah. Um, and I think that w- one of the things that's emerged from the conversations that we've had so far are issues about what's cool and, um, you, you know, because... You know, it's not necessarily, for some children, that's not necessarily such a good thing. You know, they don't really want to be associated um, with, you know, with the coolest kids. Um, and also, uh, maybe not, you know, obviously some, some children tend to be more uh, geared towards digital platforms than others, you know.
0: Thanks, Paul. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah, there's a hand up there. Oh, the, if we go to the gentleman first and then the lady at the front. Thank you.
4: Sorry, I didn't mean to steal the mic. No,
0: that's all right, don't worry.
4: Thanks, John. Mark Adamson, I'm a a creative consultant. Um, uh, You asked the question about potential platforms, say in the next 12 months, that could be utilised. This isn't a panacea, it's an opportunity uh, and one example. Uh, Local TV franchises are about to um, hit uh, uh, in various cities. Uh, I'm working uh, with one of my clients, Sunderland University, uh, with the franchise holder, and they're specifically very interested in content, high-quality content for a hyper-local media market, yeah. multi-platform on arts and culture. So I'd encourage people to, pe- uh, to keep an eye on the opportunities, approach the local TV franchises, for example, uh, elsewhere in the country. Um, which, which, because city uh, work, which city are you working on? Which, it's actually the, 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 the market area is um, Tyneside Plus, Okay. And Weir. Um, so it kind of touches Southern End and Northumberland down to the northern end of County Durham for those people that know their geography in the northeast. Um, uh, but it, crucially, uh, the franchise holders have got to um, present uh, high quality viable content using different platforms. So whilst it's a local TV franchise, it isn't solely linear t- type and, uh, TV that we've been associated with. It should be more disruptive than that.
0: Great. Thanks okay. very much. Thank you. Um, and the lady at the front, thanks.
5: Thank you. Um, my name is Lillian Clark, and despite the accent from University of Portsmouth, also we also have a colleague from University of Southampton, and we're having very similar experiences here, large universities in large towns, with perhaps not the best relationship with the town itself or the best position in the town. very interested in what Professor Wilson was saying about taking what universities are being Push to do more e-learning, blended learning, digital platforms for learning, and the idea of taking that and bringing that, bringing those benefits to the local towns as well, rather than just keeping it within the university. Now I think, and I think there's a lot of scope there, particularly in deprived, er- both Southampton and Portsmouth have deprived areas that could very much benefit from this. I think we have two ch- challenges. One is, where is the funding coming from? The universities don't have it. The t- local councils certainly don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, and this was uh, mentioned and I think in this morning's session, one of the challenges we have is the pressure of the un- upon universities now to the peer-reviewed journal, the things that are refable, producing impact. And therefore, it's about getting interest within our universities to do this work and see that it is a- that by benefiting the local communities, this will How do we, in the long run, convince them that this is worth the impact and the effort to do this?
0: Thank you. Thank you. I mean, on the question of funding, just for those who (laughs) don't know or have been under a rock, the Digital R&D Fund in England, £7 million funding programme for collaborations between uh, organisations in England that have an arts project, technology providers, and research teams. (laughs) So, you know, if funding really is an issue for you or your project, consider applying into the fund. And um, this is a bit of an ad, of course, I'm promoting it. But, But the last thing that you should think about when pressing your submit button on the application is what knowledge am I generating for the wider arts sector? So in many ways, you know, today is about sharing lessons and insights from the Projects that have previously gone on, as well as your own insights from your own experiences, but as well, you know, I had to get a little bit of a, a, a promotion in there. If if you do have a project and you think it's relevant to generate wider knowledge for the art sector, then always think about the the fund. Um, rolling application, you know, you can apply any time up until the end of December. Okay, are there are there any? Um, I'm going to ask Ghislaine, just to, we. We're desperately running short of time, so if I could ask people to be very brief, please. Thank you. So
6: I'm Guylaine from Body Data Space, and we had a chat, the three of us. Um Tom from Interplay and Adrian from MIMAS and the Jazz Festival here in Manchester and we talked about two things which we found in common. One was distributing environments and so I talked about Me and My Shadow, the virtual share space that we've just created at National Theatre between Istanbul, Paris, Brussels and London and um, we talked about the the complexities of, of trying to work much more into sensory and um, engaging environments for public and for artists mm. so distribution of much much more complex platforms and just broadcast platforms yeah. Yeah. and then we talked about funding and funding was a problem for all of us um, and actually what we were concerned about is the levels of funding in the art sector in expectations for very large amounts of work to be done on quite small funds. And I even mean like at 200,000 levels is not much in the development of these types of platforms and distributions. And that available in a commercial sector to R&D labs and commercial sectors, millions there. So we're worried about that. Yeah.
0: OK, thanks very much. Anyone else? The lady here in the stripy top. And after you, I've got space for one, one more comment, sorry. So. Uh, my, name
7: is, oh, my name is Maya Gabrielle. I'm the, uh, the digital content producer for The National. Hello. <laughs> um, and one of the things I'm interested in about uh, distributing content is what are the kind of criteria for success. Because, I mean, we widely distribute content online. We have a very large online audience for our content. Um, and we are funded, obviously, by the Arts Council and by UK citizens, and we have gone from being a local UK theatre to being a global theatre, and really a lot of our funding revenue comes from the UK, and we're generating a lot of content, which our second biggest audience is America, and all of our digital content they don't have to pay for. And so there is a real question for us when looking at funded models and, like, pay paid-for distribution models, is there a way to give back everything freely to the UK and actually monetize our distribution international of particularly education content about theatre? Um, we are the only large theatre in the world that is currently distributing large amounts of learning content about the theatrical mm-hmm. arts. And Australia and America consume huge amounts of it and, and make a large amount of our audience, but it's paid for... In the UK. Sounds so
0: like you're moving slightly towards a sort of BBC model where, you know, the free-to-air in the UK, but BBC worldwide kind of monetises around the world. But just to throw it back to you, what would you be happy with your success as being?
7: Well, What, I mean, what does a
0: national think?
7: I think we've been surprised in that our, I was originally hired two years ago to generate the learning offer, and we have an audience of about thirty to 40,000 users a week engaging with our learning content, which is more than 1.5 million a year, which is three times the footfall in the national. So we have a massive reach, because we've created this learning content, which was originally for a UK schools and education audience, and which has found huge kind of appeal. So I kind of think, already, we're in iTunes. We are working with the Google Cultural Institute. Like We are in all of the places where those communities go outside our website. In YouTube, all of our stuff's embeddable, you can put it in your VLEs, we make it as freely available as possible. So I kind of think we're doing good, but we are also doing it for the world. And the world aren't paying for it, actually. And whilst that's fabulous and we can all you know pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, look at our reach, really when the Arts Council cuts are coming down and people are looking at future business models is that, I mean, I know we should be reaching a global audience and that's one of the wonderful things about digital, but, you know, it is looking at how you monetize that in sure. other areas. So I think commercial models. I yeah. think that, for it, and it's completely new for us, it's not something we've ever done before. We're a theatre, sure. we, we put on shows. So, so,
0: so funding it and commercialising it seems to be a sort of common theme. Yeah. One very last quick question, Lady in Blue at the back there, please. Because... <laughs>
8: Okay, Uh, Doris Eichel from the University of Stirling in Scotland and I actually uh, co-lead the research consortium looking after the Scotland projects of of this fund. Um, The the thing that we're seeing is actually that in in the last couple of years or so the question was very much around what can be done digitally. And the answer to that at the moment seems to be pretty much anything. So the digital partners in our projects, whatever arts organisations want, they, they will say, "Yep, yeah, that's fine, we can do that. The question seems to be more around what do organisations want and allow to do. Two examples. You can do pretty much anything with a mobile phone app in a, in a gallery, but you might have gallery policy against mobile phones in your gallery. So what do you do then? Other thing that we've, I've just been discussing with Anna from the Philharmonia, uh, uh, Philharmonia Orchestra is expectations about user behavior in a particular cultural experience. So if you've got a concert, in theory, you could have people playing on an iPad iP- uh, at the same time and engaging with the concept-, concept on stage, but might that irritate the person next to them who might have a very different idea of the experience in a concert. So it's more about organisational ideas of what do their users want, what is the cultural experience on offer digitalised, than it is about what actually can be done digitally.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much. I'm really sorry. We must leave it there. Um, All all it really remains is for me to ask you to thank Stephen and and Mike. Um, They are around for questions. You're not going anywhere today. You're very keen to speak to people. So thank you very much.